We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. It is Tuesday, May 2nd. Nick Whalen here with DJ Trainer. As always, a lot to get to. We have two, three series now that are already underway in the second round of the playoffs. We got Wizards Celtics tonight. We got Jazz Warriors starting tonight. Um, but we have a lot of other uh, non NBA things to get to, or I should say, one very major non NBA thing to get to uh, first, and that is the Big Three draft. Um, if you're somehow unfamiliar with the big three, this is, of course, a three-on-three basketball league founded by none other than Ice Cube. Um, I believe there's some involvement from like Roger Mason for some reason. Uh, but this is Ice Cube's thing. This is Ice Cube's baby. And the draft, the much-anticipated big three draft, was held this weekend. And boy, was it interesting. We have eight teams in this league. Uh, the, the teams are as follows. There's Three's Company, the Three-Headed Monsters, the Ghost Ballers, the Ball Hogs, the Tri-State, the Power, the Killer Threes, and the Trilogy. So as you're, no, as you're probably noticing, a lot of three-related 
team names because of course this is three on three basketball uh and how this is going to work is that they're going to basically just going to travel city to city basically like a harlem globetrotters type of situation um and play kind of like a game or a set of games uh in each city prior to the playoffs which kick off in late august so not really sure what to expect here but obviously we need to take a look at these rosters because there are some names uh so we'll just start with three's company captain alan iverson of course alan iverson is involved co-captain the great damar johnson uh we got somebody named andre owens gotta say i don't know who that is mike sweetney who looked pretty svelte in the photos that i saw of him at the draft they held an event that looked somewhat like the actual NBA draft um, to actually draft these teams. Sweetney looked good. He looked like in much better shape than he was ever in at any point in his NBA career. And then we have Ruben Patterson. Uh, this team is also player coached by Allen Iverson. So he's the coach, a player, and a captain. Ruben Patterson is a convicted sex offender. I don't, apparently, that's not uh, an issue in this type of league. Um, so that one was interesting to me. I was a little bit surprised to see Ruben. Uh, pop up on the roster um both moved to the three-headed monsters this one is captained by Rashard Lewis co-captained by Jason Williams who was unable to make it to the draft citing diarrhea yeah I love it and and thanks for bringing me into the podcast for the first time <laughs> the yeah. diarrhea DJ, DJ your comment yeah DJ trainer here uh Kwame Brown come on we Stephen A. Smith has made a career out of Kwame Brown mm-hmm. he's got small hands can't really catch the ball come right, on that was that was the only issue he was he was slightly larger hands right. away from being a dominant NBA player. Uh, so, you know, I was texting you over the weekend. Oh, wait, one quick aside before we talk about that text. Michael Rappaport has, funny enough, like sneaked his way into like the administration of this league. And let me tell you, he's been like oddly popping up into just like NBA culture right. just randomly. But I definitely think that Michael Rappaport is more suited towards something like the big three. So I'm happy that he's like kind of settled into a yes. niche here. I guess we'll see if that happens or not. This seems way more up his alley than anything else. Back to the text this weekend. After the teams were drafted, uh, I was asking you, you know, who's going to be your favorite team? Who are you going to root for? Because automatically you have to pick a favorite. That's just what you do. I'm struggling because the easy answer is just wherever Allen Iverson is going to play, that's going to be awesome. Awesome. But, you know, uh, some people call me a ginger, so you got to go with Brian Scalabrini. I know. Thanks, thanks for what shaking you your like head. are you, like a part-time alleged ginger? I don't. Well, some people. I don't think you, know. you have red hair. All right. Well, that, that means more to me than you could ever know. But some people do. So okay. you got to go with Scalabrini. Uh, Chauncey Billups, Steven Jackson, Reggie Evans, perhaps like – the most recent team in terms of guys that were actually in the NBA. And then uh, Corey Maggetti follows me on Twitter along with like 44 other thousand people. Okay. So, I mean, you got to give that a nod too. So I'm kind of stuck between four teams right now. Um, how have you decided which of these <clears throat> th- t- eight teams are going to be your favorite and your rooting interest? Well, first of all, like you said, you texted me on Sunday night uh, at 10, 15 PM and just said, favorite <laughs> big three team, question mark, question mark, question mark. And I responded and said, what do you mean? Because my initial thought was, like, what do you, like, the Celtics, the Heat? Like, I was going to say, I was going to say probably the Heat. I don't know. So, obviously, the big three as a league hasn't come into, like, you know, your your vernacular quite yet. When I hear big three, I still, I don't think of, oh, you must mean uh, the tri-state or the killer threes. (laughs) No. um, Yeah, I, I took a long look. I spent a few hours at the office earlier today taking a look, just pouring over these rosters, the team trilogy might actually be good. 
uh, they might be the best, like basketball wise. Like sure. Al Harrington, nice stretch four. Kenyon Martin was on the Bucks not that long ago, but maybe even last year, I think. Rashad McCants, he was the number one overall pick in the draft. He's 32 years old only, right in the middle of his prime. Huge pick for the trilogy. <laughs> you have Flight White, uh, former overseas dunk contest winner. And then you got Dion Glover. Don't know who Dion Glover is. Um, but then you have also Rick Mahorn, who in a league like this, I think you need a coach like Rick Mahorn. I'm very anxious to see Rick Mahorn coaching against Charles Oakley and Gary Payton. Like These are the type of guys we want involved in this league. So I think Trilogy is going to be interesting. The Ghost Ballers, um, for obvious reasons, Ricky Davis is a co-captain. Uh, I think he's going to be a fan favorite. Reggie Evans, like you mentioned, um, he, he's a member of the Killer Threes. He was in the NBA two years ago and was still like one of the best per-minute rebounders in the NBA as like a 34-year-old. So I think the combination of him and Brian Cook is going to be difficult. I think that's going to be something that teams are going to have to scheme against. Um, wow, you're really diving into this. Right. And a couple After other, not even understanding my text, you're breaking down X's yeah, and O's. Well, I, I, honestly, I didn't realize the draft was on Sunday, so okay. forgive me. Shame on you. Mike James is a member of the Tri-State. That's, that's coached by Dr. J, captained by Bonzi Wells and Jermaine O'Neal. Mike James, when I initially saw the roster, you know, they tweeted out basically a screenshot after the draft. I don't remember who it was, some writer. He was listed as Mike Jones. Hmm. And I was like, oh, oh my God. Like, <laughs> yes, this is so great. Like, Mike Jones is going to be in this. Um, and then, you know, a couple hours later, I saw a new one being distributed and people were saying, you know, we're sorry, we misspelled Mike James as Mike Jones. Like, pretty critical mistake. You can't just give people that kind of hope. So, Mike Jones will not be involved. Um, but Latrell Sprewell was supposed to be in this. He was hyped as one of, you know, one of the marquee names. He's like 46 years old, but you know, that doesn't seem to be an issue. Didn't file the paperwork for the draft. Didn't get his medicals in. So he, as of right now is ineligible. Same goes for Steve Francis. Not sure we're going to see either of those guys on the court, but other guys I wanted to see in this Baron Davis. This seems like something that would be right up Baron Davis's alley. Okay. Last night on TNT, he took over for Kenny and he did the thing where, you know, like he races Shaq to the board and the first one to touch it. If I'm not mistaken, there was a noticeable limp from Baron Davis. So I wonder if he's dealing with a hammy, something that, you know, that uh, is is taking a while to recover, but this does he seem did. right up his alley. I mean, he was talking about his NBA comeback not that long ago, right. so like something like this, this year. <laughs> right? So something like this seems like it'd be right up his alley. Yeah, he was playing in the deal. He's got other stuff going on though. He's a Hollywood guy. He's he's got his hand in. I think he's, he's got a documentary coming out. Yeah, he's like a producer League. director now. Right. So I do, I do want to talk about Scalabrini just one more time because. If there ever was like an NBA player that you designated as like the pickup basketball player of all time, it'd be Scalabrini. So I just kind of feel like his whole career, like even his NBA career was building to this moment where he's playing in this league because Mm -hmm. his game, you know, just like coming off the bench, a little pudgy, like this, this is like, this is his whole life is meant to play in the big three league. Combine that with Josh Childress, who's only 33 years 33 years old. I, I don't know. I think that could be an interesting one. I, I'm kind of interested to see if Rick Barry like actually takes this like very, very seriously, like a step to like an NBA yeah. coaching job. So I think ball hogs might be like legitimately in it to win it and not just playing it cool. Yeah. Well, first of all, that's uh, NCAA hoops, two K five cover boy, Josh Childress sure. to you. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what I think with Rashad McCants is like, he could maybe 
you could maybe parlay this into a, a 10 day or at least into like a, a summer league invite. Okay. So um, we're, we're going to go that far and actually, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you're like Rashad McCann's in terms of where he's at in his life is like, you know, Latrell Sprewell is going to play in this league and he was 46. Rashad McCann's is 32. You know, like there's, there's motivation here. Um, so I think there's a handful of these guys that could maybe be using this as some sort of stepping stone as opposed to just like a, a money grab for these guys who are obviously done playing. I um, I think this is the nail in the coffin for anybody that plays in this league. Like this is the, the demarcation where like so 10 days like, and camp invites are out, out, out. You think of it's like worse to play in this than it would be to do nothing? Yes. Okay. I think that's actually fair. It's just like with NFL, like mm-hmm. the less you play and the less tape you have, or really any scouting is, is the better. And so the more, the, like the more tape you have on you, the more opportunity there is to see flaws. Sure. So somebody like Nigel Hayes in basketball for Wisconsin, who we know and love, right? Uh, had he gone out a couple years ago, he might be drafted higher than he's going to be now because there's four years of his flaws on tape. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, Nigel Hayes didn't even get invited to the combine. Neither yeah. did Bronson Koenig. So that that's a pretty good example, actually. Yeah. So anyways, I, I'm excited for this. Uh, I did not realize until you informed me today that this was like a traveling affair. Like like the Globetrotters right. are super pissed about this because yes. the, the, the big three is like going to be the new Globetrotters. I think it's cool. Uh, we might have to catch some ticks uh, when they when they stop through. I don't, I don't have that kind of money. Come on. No, they're, <laughs> they're actually not coming through Madison, but they are going to Tulsa for some reason. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting. None of these teams, if you're wondering, have city affiliations because they all travel together. Right. You know, it's not like it's the that was the, the dead Tulsa giveaway that busters. I should have picked yeah. up on. And the reason, no, no hate on Tulsa. I'm from Tulsa. That's why Nick randomly mm-hmm. decided to put Tulsa below the pecking order of Madison. Anyways, but yeah, I'm excited for this. I think this is great. If if you could pick one winner right now, it sounds like you're going with uh, the fans. We're all winners. Okay, we get to watch this. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, let's talk real NBA. I want to talk about the Clippers first before we get into second round stuff. Uh, I mean, this was the fizzle out of all fizzle outs Ugh. in Game Seven on Sunday, one hundred four ninety one. We won't spend a ton of time on this since it's been you know three days since. But I mean, this one got away from the Clippers really in the second quarter. That Utah pulled away big time early in the third, and then that was just about it. And I, I guess credit to the Clippers for getting to Game 7 without Blake Griffin, but it just became increasingly clear in, in Games 5 and 6 and, and especially 7 that they they just did not have the firepower. When, when Paul Pierce is playing 22 minutes in literally his last ever NBA game, Raymond Felton's playing 24 minutes, you got Austin Rivers, who's not 100%, playing 38 minutes. I, I think, if anything, it, it shouldn't necessarily reflect on Chris Paul it shouldn't reflect on Blake Griffin always being banged up and not even Doc Rivers as the coach. It should reflect on Doc Rivers, the GM, having an unbelievably top-heavy roster uh, that, that forces guys to play the type of minutes that they just simply shouldn't be playing at, at certain points in their careers. I got a few rapid-fire questions for you because everybody's breaking this down from every angle. This will continue to perhaps be one of the bigger stories as we play these second-round games or second round series unless some of these second round series get a little close we'll talk about that but for whatever reason that this clipper story is going to linger in, deep into the postseason even though they as a team won't um the clippers have the fourth highest payroll in the league and they have no bench to show for it um who who is the biggest to blame here 
um, for why the Clippers never made it to a conference finals. Uh, the fact that what's more to blame here, the fact that the big three, uh, it's a big three, but they never truly gelled to the point where maybe they hope to, or doc is a GM never giving them a supporting cast to help them flourish. Which, which of you is more important in terms of their lack of achievement over the last four or five years? I think it's got to be the lack of a supporting cast. I, I honestly think injuries are number one. You know, there's the people always point to the OKC game. I think it was in 2014 when, when CP kind of melted down in the last minute. Um, but that was one game, and that, you know, it wasn't like that was game seven or anything. Um, it's just been, you know, Chris Paul had the hand issue, Blake this year, Blake in years past. Um, and, and the problem is the Clippers as good as DeAndre Jordan is he was first team all NBA last year Chris Paul has been you know first second third all NBA every year Blake's up there when he's healthy they just don't they don't have like the replacement parts you know a lot of good teams can lose somebody Mm -hmm. the caliber of Blake Griffin and that's not a knock on Blake at all but a lot of good teams you know just have the depth to survive that for one round not a lot of teams could lose Blake and then go on to win the title but a lot of teams can survive that loss because the other two or the rest of their roster collectively is strong enough to, to kind of coalesce and what we've seen with the Clippers is when they lose one of these guys things just completely implode and so I guess that makes my answer the roster you know the rest of the roster uh, even if it's just for a four or five game stretch just cannot survive you know when all three of of Jordan Paul and Griffin aren't playing at their best okay so in general as a basketball community we have regarded Chris Paul as one of the best two-way point guards in league history however he, as a player, at none of his stops, has ever made it to a conference finals. And when looking back on that, in, in, a, in a league where we judge players based on rings, where this guy didn't even get to the step before competing for a ring, do you have to knock him down a peg when it comes to the best point guards of all time? Because he never seemingly reached that other gear. And, and I'm not even talking about another gear that like LeBron and Michael Jordan has reached. Like we saw that other gear from John Wall against Atlanta in 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 Game Six, and so it's you know other players have reached it. So in 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 summary, do you knock Chris Paul down a peg because he's never transcended you know a series and put a team on his back and taken them to the conference finals? Well, the argument basically is what Bill Simmons wrote on the Ringer last week is that Chris Paul has always just played Chris Paul's game and has never necessarily adjusted to carry a team quote unquote you know when it needs him most and and that's a tough criticism to make you know because it's like it's not like Chris Paul is is top five all time I believe in playoff PER like his playoff numbers are incredible you can't look at him and and say he's not doing enough but at the same time I, I think there is that argument there that we've seen players when when adversity hits whether it's an injury or whether it's just you know your team's not playing well you need to come back Chris Paul seems to just play his same game no matter what the situation yeah. is. Whereas like when LeBron lost, you know, Kyrie and lost love a couple of years ago, he was just like, all right, I'm just going to do this. You know, I'm, I'm going to, if it means I'm shooting 35 times, that's what it means. And like, we haven't really seen Chris Paul's mm-hmm. willingness to do that. Even when it's so obvious that they need, like he only took 19 shots in 40 right. minutes and, and 19 shots is a decent amount of shots. It's not like he took five. But they, I mean, they needed him to take 25, at least, maybe 30. I mean, with, Jamal Crawford took 16 shots. Paul Pierce took four shots. Like, you don't want those guys really having that kind of impact when you have a guy in Chris Paul who's so, so much better. Um, so, and, it, and what's interesting is it runs contrary to how Paul is perceived, you know? 
this win at all costs guy, do whatever it takes to win. And it ultimately just kind of comes up short. So a few thoughts on that. The first of which is that an argument for, you know, he physically can't take over games because he's only six foot. And and I think that's a bunch of bull because he's one of the most tenacious, you know, on ball defenders in, in the league, especially with point guards. Like he can wreak havoc, you know, disrupting passing lanes, just outright stealing a ball and, and moving into transition. So the fact that he's short doesn't really matter because he really can shut down opposing point guards. The other thing is that when back when JJ Redick had his podcast and he was pumping them out on, on the verticals network, you know, basically a year ago, he had Chris Paul on and Paul talked, you know, extensively about how his teammates have to like continually remind him that he's the best player on the court and that he can take over and shoot more shots. It's, it's literally something that he struggles with. It's just not in his, in in his makeup to be that score first guy. And we've seen Mm -hmm. it time and time again, The other thing, and the final thing here about this, is that he's been the best player on the court for like the last four years of all these series, basically. Like, even if you go back to that Houston series, everyone would have said at the time that he was better than James Harden. You can't say that necessarily now, but back when they did collapse against the Rockets, Chris Paul has been the best player on the court every single time. And what do we say with the playoffs? Usually, the guy that or the team with the best player on the court is going to win, or you always give them the edge. And unfortunately, that's something we've never actually seen uh, bear any fruit when it comes to Chris Paul and whatever team he's on. Yeah, I mean, the, the OKC series, is like I, I think you could argue Durant was, was certainly better than him. Um, I don't know. I mean, this is – it's a tough question because, I mean, Chris Paul, no matter what, is, is going to go down as an all-timer. You know, I, I think we – I think he's maybe missed his opportunity to be in the conversation with some of like the all-time all-time great players whether it's at the point guard position or others. You know, you're never going to you're never going to compare Chris Paul to LeBron or Kobe, you know. No, but I, you I would think, with like John Stockton, Isaiah right. Thomas. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I I'm just saying like I think Chris Paul for a while, you know, in, in the late 2010s, you know, was was considered a top 5 player in the league and and it was somebody that you really could compare to LeBron and you really could compare, you know, maybe not to Kobe at that point as he had like five rings. Um, but we've, we've kind of seen other players, I guess, that we considered on his level in the past, pass him up. And that's, you know, that's maybe more of a, maybe that says more about a guy like LeBron or, or a guy like Curry or Durant, just how well that they've played and how successful that they've been. Um, but, but at the same time, yeah, I, I think you kind of have to, I hate to say you have to knock Chris Paul for it because I, I really, really like you watching do. Chris it's Paul. A, it's but a you, league where we judge players based on rings, and that's just what Well, where do is. we draw the line? Like, what if he, you know, what if he does what Gary Payton does after falling short for year after year after year, and then he goes and wins one as, like, maybe a starter or a six man when he's 35? Like he goes to San Antonio and Kawhi, sure. is, like, leads them to the finals, but he plays lots of minutes and does pretty well. Yeah, if he goes to San Antonio next year and they win it next year, Kawhi's still clearly the best player on the team. Do you not Chris Paul for that? I mean, it's the same question with Durant, basically, right? It's not, and I was and I was about. How to is it fl- not? Well, I know. Yeah, I, it's because Chris. It's because Durant is the best player on the Warriors. True. So, do you not Curry then, or is that different because Curry was already there? I mean, there's not. I much- think you knock everybody on the Warriors because they ganged up yeah. on the league um, to a certain extent. But I don't think you knock 
Chris Paul. I mean, I think Gary Payton is probably the best example where we think of Gary Payton as this tenacious defender and all this stuff. And because he did tag team with those Lakers team at the end and, and you know, won championship or was it two? No, he didn't. They didn't win any with the Lakers. Oh, he, he won it with Miami. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So he was really ring chasing there at the end, wasn't he? So it right. depends. It depends to what extent Chris Paul wants to do it. Here's the thing: if he goes and does it with the Spurs and Kawhi and Lamarcus and Pau Gasol like next year, the year after that, that's more respectable than if he does it in like three or four years and finds LeBron and just like you know is the guy like seventh man off the bench off of mm-hmm. whatever team LeBron is playing on. Right. So I think you know there's a couple steps, um, and and you know he's going to be knocked down a step because I'm assuming over the next couple years he's going to be the second or third best player on whatever team he's on well that's another interesting topic too is like what at what point in his career is chris paul right now i mean the numbers still say he's as good as ever you know the assist dropped off a little bit this year but a lot of that was he was just playing fewer minutes he, he only played you know played fewer than 32 minutes per game during the regular season which is you know by far the lowest of his career i mean he's, he'd been sitting around 36 37 38 for most of his younger years. So, you know, on a per 36 basis, he was right where he's always been. It doesn't matter. Here's It just doesn't matter. And, and you're right. He's he's very good per 36. You said in the playoffs, too, his per 36 are fantastic. But if he can't get over that hump just by the eye test, it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, teams are tanking and reconfiguring their whole rosters to find guys that are difference makers in the playoffs. And, and we've seen time and time again that a team led by Chris Paul isn't going to get you anywhere. It just isn't. But that's not going to prevent someone from giving him max money, you know. I mean, oh, of course not. But he's he's still arguably he has to the rank best player available this summer. He can get max money because there's always going to be teams out there at favorable favorable destinations for him and his lifestyle. However, for him, he needs to prioritize what he wants. I mean, him and LeBron right. basically made up a new contract for for you know aging guys to take money um so it it would appear and it would seem that he's choosing the money which is perfectly fine you can't harm him for that but he could also retract on that a little bit and say i want to go you know win a championship or actually make it to a conference finals and go down to san antonio and join forces with pop and Kawhi. so he has to prioritize but we already kind of saw how he prioritized He, he he went with the money we're assuming yeah, I mean, we don't know for sure. Who knows? I, I'm willing to reserve judgment on anything regarding free agents after what we saw last year. I mean, this time this time last year, I would have said no way Durant ends up in Golden State. Sure. And here we are. So, yeah, I mean, the Clippers could look very different. J.J. Redick is a free agent. Paul's a free agent. Blake's a free agent. Uh, I believe even Mbamute is a free agent as well. So, if Paul leaves, maybe we see a bit of an exodus. Uh, I think you could maybe say the same well, thing about Griffin. Player options for Chris Paul and Blake Griffin. Mbaa Mute I mean, and Spades uh, also have Paul's player not options. picking up a player option right now. Yeah, you wouldn't think so. And I don't see really why Blake would either. Well, injury history, but you know, when, when healthy, he's still one of the no, better yeah, players. Yeah, I don't think that's league. an issue for Blake. Okay. Like, finding that kind of money elsewhere will not be a problem. Uh, all right, quickly, the Bulls. It seems like forever ago that we really thought the Bulls might be able to pull this off, and it really does seem like Rondo's injury swung this series. What kind of started off as a joke, you know, of Rondo's going Rondo's gonna to do this. Rondo hates Boston now. It really kind of materialized in those first two games. He goes down, and it was, it was like the Bulls flipped a switch and looked like the same Bulls that we saw for most of the regular season. 
Yeah, and I wouldn't even go to go so far as to say it was only the Bulls that flipped a switch. I think that Boston mentally too got you know a boost of confidence that for whatever reason Rondo being out of the lineup really mentally meant a lot, not only to Chicago in a negative way, but for Boston in in a positive way. And you know the better overall team ended up winning. Um, but man, that was a fun two game stint there for a while, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, being a Celtics fan for those like four days before Game Three must have been horrible. Well, I mean, we wrote him off. I mean, we wrote him off, and so did everybody else. I mean, it just seemed that— Well, you, you had the Bulls advancing well, I, anyway, didn't you? I had the Bulls advancing anyway, and who would have thought that that mm-hmm. crazy prediction would, wouldn't come to fruition because of a Rondo mm-hmm. injury, but um, yeah. Yeah, I didn't think the Celtics played all that well. I mean, in, in Game 6, they did. Uh, but, I mean, they only shot like 42% in Game 5. They, they really didn't shoot. They were 9 of 40 from 3 in Game 5. Uh, I mean, the type of games that you just don't usually win in the playoffs unless you're playing a team that plays Michael Carter-Williams. But they're just not a good playoff team. They're just not built for the playoffs because I think I, the, you know... We, the Bulls we're talking? No, we're talking about Boston. I'm talking about Boston. Uh, it's just that they just don't have another gear to reach. And that's... always. I've said this once. I'll say it again. All the credit goes to Brad Stevens for having this team reach their full potential at various points during the regular season. But... We've seen everything they have to offer at, at some point during the regular season, and they just don't have another gear. They just don't have the personnel for it. They don't have the skill for it. They need new people. Are they going to beat Washington? I don't think so. I think Washington is going to end up winning, but it's going to be a great series. Um, I mean, it doesn't matter, right? Like, let's just be honest. Like, it's going to be fun to watch over the next couple of weeks, but they're going to hit a buzzsaw in Cleveland, and, and Boston's not interested in results this year. They're trying to size up the next few years because they have an amazing war chest of assets where they could actually push up against this wall that is the Cleveland Cavaliers. So, uh, you know, I don't think that Danny Ainge is is even really that concerned about the results of this year because this whole time they weren't thinking they were going to peak this year. It's over the next couple of years. Yeah, I don't think it's winning. I don't think it's like championship or bust for Boston. But I mean, you got your up one zero on Washington. I think. I mean, I think they want to win the series. I think they think they can beat Cleveland. I think they can give Cleveland a better run than Washington. I think they can give Cleveland a better run than Toronto because Toronto oh, yeah, is let's... mentally toast. They just, they, you know. Yeah, well, let's just talk about that game. Sure. Yikes. Um, <laughs> We're done. We talked yeah, about so it. Yeah, the, so the Cavs missed, I think, two or three first of uh, their two or three first possessions of the game. They missed easy shots or turned it over, looked a little lackadaisical. Kyle Lowry hit a three. And then the Cavs went on a 10-0 run uh, that was punctuated with the LeBron, Kyrie off the backboard, lefty dunk. Last time we saw that from LeBron, I believe, was on Christmas Day when he was with the Heat in, tw- in mm. would have been 2013, I guess. Um, so that that's basically how they view the Toronto Raptors is the 2013 Lakers. And I think a lot was made about both that play and LeBron fake sipping an empty beer after missing an and one play like (laughs) he like celebrated as if he had finished the play uh, a play that he normally finishes too yeah um but yeah I think a a lot of people after the game were asking Dwayne Casey and asking the Raptors you know were you did you feel disrespected by the Cavs pulling out these street ball moves earlier in the game and LeBron fake drinking a beer I don't see how that's all that disrespectful but it's not like the the Raptors didn't really respond they were they were just like it shell-shocked I think, from how this game turned out, which if we know the Raptors' history of Game 1 performances shouldn't be all that surprising. 1-12 in in franchise history, if if we want to get specific with things here. Not great. I'm going to say this, Nick, and we talked about this earlier, but it was very disrespectful just 
you know, throwing alley oops, LeBron grabbing a beer. I mean, something he's never done in his entire career. I mean, I liken this to him and the, and the guys flipping the water bottle at the end of the bench. I think that was against the you know the Knicks and Madison Square Garden, where they're just like totally unfocused from the game because it doesn't matter. But guess what? They have every right to disrespect the Raptors uh, until the Raptors actually show up and, and put up a good fight. You know, Cavs can do whatever they want. And and this is one of the cases, um, you know, an example I like to use this is or use uh, cross sport analysis is remember when Cam Newton was dancing in the end zone and, and whatever oh, defense. Boy, do I. Yeah. And whatever defense that was, is they just got mad. They thought it was disrespectful. It's the Titans, yeah. And then Cam responded with, if you don't like it, then don't let me get in the end zone. And that's the same thing here. If you don't like it, then, you know, have the game be a little right. closer. And LeBron, I promise you, won't be grabbing beers from the sidelines. Yeah, and I think that's that sums up exactly what the Raptors thought about it. It's like I'm sure they weren't pleased, but you can't really talk back about it you when can't. you're down by 28. Um, so Paul, like um, Dwayne Casey in in his press conference was somebody threw a word around the word dominated, and then he took offense to that, and it's like. I mean, you were dominated. There's, there's no other. Uh, that is a perfect word to sum right. up. Before Not only Dante this Jones game, came on the floor, you were dominated. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't have any hope for the Raptors. I know they've always gotten off to slow starts in game ones, um, one and twelve again. But it's mentally they were beat before they yeah. even stepped foot on the court. And Charles Barkley said it best: you have to think that you can actually win to go out mm. there and put a good, put up a good fight. And it's just, it's just something they can't yeah. even mentally grasp. Yeah, this reminded me so much of last year's series where Toronto scrapped and clawed to get to round two. I think they got taken to seven by Indy. The Cavs, again, had this long layoff similar to this year, and they absolutely blew them out of the water in game one. And, you know, there was was no beer sipping. There were no off-the-backboard dunks. But if you remember, LeBron had that. He blew by Damari Carroll in the corner and threw down a huge hammer and one dunk. And, you know, LeBron doesn't show that much emotion in these type of games usually, Mm -hmm. but got the crowd into it, got himself into it. And that that's kind of what this reminded me of, of like a, you know, a statement game of like, this team really thinks that they can play with us. And I, I think Cleveland was more than ready for him. So LeBron now um, is 24 points behind Kareem for second all time in playoff scoring. So he'll likely eclipse Kareem, uh, judging by his career playoff average tomorrow. He's currently number four in minutes played career playoff wow 41 behind that's kobe amazing. for third that's so crazy he is tied with manager Ginobili for ninth all time in playoff games he's third in playoff assists and he is 28 steals away from passing scotty pippen for first all time yeah i don't it's that, ridiculous and i don't know what, what point i'm trying to make just kind of listing that he's also number one in turnovers um just to put that out there so yeah. you know going to hear both sides uh but yeah lebron <laughs> continues his i mean there's fair a fair and balance here on the road yeah very NBA fair podcast. very balanced you can make the point yes michael jordan averaged many more points <laughs> per game in the playoffs he did uh but if things if things go as they have for the cavaliers lebron is on pace to break uh jordan's scoring record probably at some point in the finals awesome he deserves all the credit in the world it seems like the lebron haters have taken a backseat a little bit i do think that the teaming up of the warriors has hushed some lebron yes. haters because now that hatred, uh, you know, mine included, has moved over to the Warriors team. So even uh, if they, I don't know if it's hatred necessarily because people love the Warriors. A lot of people hate them, but well, I think it's you hate them or love them. I don't think there's sure. much in between. Well, I, th- I don't know. Like I don't. I feel like I'm neutral on the Warriors. Like I, I don't love the decision by Durant, but like I love watching them play. 
And I, I think a lot of people probably feel that I, way. I hate when – I don't like that argument. I, I don't like the, oh, I love watching them play and what they're doing. They're transcending everything we knew about basketball. And all this. Like, yeah, it's an all-star team. Of course they yeah, are. Yeah, as someone who loves the all-star game. Yeah, it's right. Like, I, it's like getting 82 extra all-star games. Yeah, no, of course you're going to like to play. You're, you're putting five all-stars on the court together. or Well, well almost an all-star. If you, Iggy was an all-star at one point. Um, Pachulia was for a while there. looked like maybe <laughs> – right. uh, you, you know what I mean. In general, I, I think it's interesting. And that was one of my predictions. I think we did a predictions at the beginning of the year. And I said that LeBron is going to turn into like the underdog story and all this. And then you, you retorted with, you can't be an underdog because they won the championship. And, and I, I don't know. Would you agree I with me now that like the general NBA fan is going to rally behind LeBron and the Cavs because, you know, for whatever reason, even though they are the defending champs, that they're kind of perceived as underdogs. And, and who doesn't love an underdog story? I think LeBron went from very, very much hated from 2010 to 2014. I think when he came back to Cleveland, that eased some of it, but I think most people probably still didn't like him. I think it was the finals that they lost when he truly, you know, went from hated to. I wouldn't necessarily say beloved, but that's when it turned into the underdog story. Like everybody wanted LeBron to pull that out, right? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, with them winning it last year, I think the underdog story carried over. Uh, and I think Durant going to Golden State was probably the best thing for LeBron. Maybe not legacy wise, because I, th- I think, you know, if Durant's still in OKC, the Cavs obviously have a better chance at beating the Warriors or even sure. the, like if Durant but stays public, in OKC it's not a foregone conclusion that the Warriors are in the finals right now right no that's very that's true but, pu- but based on on public perception is what you're talking about LeBron is more beloved now than he perhaps would have been had KD stayed well Durant in took City some of the yeah you know, I mean what people hated LeBron mostly for one reason and that was the decision right and yeah. now like now that Durant did the same thing and similar like executed it similarly poorly I think it. I think people have kind of like redirected that hate, you know, from LeBron to Durant. Yeah, I, and I guess that's fair. I, you know, hopefully people are, are staying true that if you hated LeBron's decision to move to Miami right. and Chris Bosh, thank right. you very much, uh, then you should also in turn hate Durant and perhaps even more because yeah. it's it's definitely more of a super. Team. Well, the reason, yeah, the reasons that people hated LeBron were one, he left Cleveland, and if you weren't from Cleveland, you didn't like LeBron because he was fixing the NBA and he was going to go play with mm-hmm. all these other superstars and no one else had a chance. A lot of those people that didn't like LeBron really like Kevin Durant, really like Stephen Curry. And now that and, those and two the, guys are doing the same thing, it's like... Uh, and they applauded KD for staying in right. Oklahoma City. And announcing that he signed an extension like right after LeBron's right. decision. Right. It, it was seen as like the counter LeBron to Miami move. It's like, wow, exactly. you know, this is a great guy, all this kind of stuff. But in reality, when it's all said and done, two of the better characters in the NBA flawed decision making sure in my eyes yeah of course but you know what are you going to do in the end they're going to end up with multiple championship rings because of those one individual decisions that they made uh respectively of course so it's tough man but i do i absolutely love the fact that lebron is considered an underdog because i i I think that's just fun from a rooting perspective and just a, a sports following perspective yeah, I mean the the best player in the league being an underdog is in, awesome. is in itself an oxymoron, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think it, it was kind of like the Brady revenge tour in some ways, you know, in the NFL this year, where it's like even if you weren't a Patriots fan, and a lot of people have hated the Patriots and hated Tom Brady, a lot more people hate Roger Goodell and hate the NFL. So like, <laughs> I mean, I was I, I wanted Brady to win. I wanted I wanted Brady to have to take that trophy from Goodell, and I think that's kind of how some people felt about LeBron. Um, but going going back to this game one. I mean, it was never really close. It, it, the first half especially was a game of spurts. Cavs went up by like 12 or 15. 
Toronto clawed and had it down to four or six, and then Cavs went on another run before the half, and then the second half was basically the same story. But I thought the Cavs looked really, really good on D. Not even for the Cavs. Like I think their, their D rating for the game was like 103 point something, and that includes the Raptors going on a 13-4 to run after all the starters were out. So, I mean, they were hovering around basically 100 points per 100 possessions which is really good, and by Cavs standards is unbelievably good. I, I'm just not surprised by that whatsoever. And I know that they had one of the worst defenses in the NBA post-All-Star break in the regular season. I just didn't care. I mean, I, I don't want to be too harsh here, but if you fell into that trap, shame on you for thinking that that defense was actually going to carry over into the postseason. I mean, it was horrible against the Pacers. I know, but why was still, it so much better? Because they're gaining traction. I mean, they swept the Pacers. They didn't need. They're just. It just doesn't make sense to exert an obsessive amount of energy just to appease the people that say, "Oh, you better, you know, you better be better on defense, or else you're going to be in trouble." They know exactly what they need to do to reach the finals. They're exerting the perfect amount of energy at each point in the playoff process that they need to. They're but like, are they, see, my problem with that argument is like, and you've played sports, whether it's you know, I don't, I don't, basketball or any other sport, are you like blowing assignments on purpose because you don't want to? You know what I mean? Like, it's not like it's, it's not like they're just. It's a broader mental thing that before the game, you're either kind of checked in, you're fifty percent checked in, or you're not checked in at all. And so it's you know blowing aside assignments is a larger sy- system of how mentally ready you're you know, you are to play that game. And so throughout that whole Indiana series, you know, they were 50-50, just like mentally locked in, right? And we clearly saw that game one against Toronto, they were 100% locked in. I mean, the biggest telltale sign of this is J.R. Smith looked like one of the best defenders in the league last night. And, you know, that just doesn't happen. And it doesn't need to happen at any point before round two of the playoffs. There's, it just makes no sense. You just don't waste your energy until you actually need to do it. I just don't, I just don't like, I know that people need to feed the monster in the 24 hour news cycle over a long season, but come on, like we should all be smarter than this. They've been there so many times before we should know better that they, they know when to turn it on and when to turn it off. Yeah. I mean, it clearly, I mean, the numbers show, I guess, if we want to compare game one to the Pacers series, um, I did, I don't know. I mean, as some, like I said, as someone who's played sports, like I just, I've never like just gone into a game, like "Ah, I'm just going to throw this one. I just don't buy that. I mean, we're both amazing athletes, but we right. have never, ever... Technically free agents. Technically still free agents. You can find us at the very bottom of the free agent NBA list right now. We've just never, ever had a scenario like this. And I and and, and, and listen, we've been on like... Let me tell you, Wrightstown the, High School in Northeast <laughs> Wisconsin. Let me, I mean, we've, we've both probably been on really bad little league teams and really, really good ones. But eh. that just it just is not the same thing whatsoever. Yeah. We're not playing eighty two game seasons, traveling around the nation with everybody watching us. I I don't think that the like if you've played sports, you, you know, then you know that there's something there's an issue here. It's just there's just no comparison. I think only professional athletes that have played on dynasty dominant teams like Tom Brady, like you mentioned, can can truly empathize right. Blake, with the Blake Cleveland Bortles, Cavaliers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Blake Portals. Yeah, right. Um, and, and that's just kind of how it goes. I just, I don't think that that is a fair comparison with all due respect. Question for you though, with the Raptors, because we're talking about player options and whatnot. Kyle Lowry has a player option, which he's going to turn down so fast. He's going to set a world record for turning down a player option, $12 million. Here's the thing. The Toronto Raptors are basically the second iteration of the Los Angeles Clippers, who we spent the first half of this podcast talking about. 
Now, while it's fun to be one of the better teams in the league, if you just keep hitting that wall in the playoffs, you know, it just doesn't matter at some point. Do you think that Kyle Lowry might actually take a lesson from Chris Paul and the Clippers and say, you know what, I just want to start fresh someplace else and not reenact what the Clippers did over the last four or five years? I don't know that Lowry will be the one to do it. I think the Raptors might be the ones. I think it could be mutual in some ways. Sure. Um, It depends what happens. You know, I mean, if if Toronto is able to claw back into this and, you know, I I don't think they're going to win it, but if they get smoked in four games in in any fashion similar to what they did on Monday night, I think it's it's really hard to go into the offseason confidently, especially after you you went all in and got Serge Ibaka and, and, and got P.J. Tucker. You know, I think you, if you're Toronto, you have to conceivably say, like, there's really not much more we can do. Like, From a ideally, personnel standpoint, right, It's like, ideally, yeah. yes, we could go get Blake Griffin and we could go get Jimmy Butler, but we really can't do those things. And so this is, like, the best possible version we're probably going to see of Toronto from top to bottom. I mean, Lowry and DeRozan are at the peak of their powers. Mm-hmm. DeRozan just had the best season of his career. You, you finally added this depth in, in, in uh, Ibaka and in Tucker. And if you come up short with that, I think you just kind of have to, you have to, like, this is it. It's like, if you're Toronto, maybe you want Lowry back. But you have to, if you're Lowry, you have to come back with the understanding that this is probably how it's going to go. Because not only is Cleveland not going anywhere, you know, their big three are all signed. Thompson signed. JR is signed. Um, but Boston's going to be better. Right. You know, Washington should be good for a while. Just I guess as it, good as they were this year. It's sure. not a two-horse race at all. It's not like you can just gear up for Milwaukee another run at Cleveland. Right, better. exactly. So, I think if you're Toronto, you kind of you say like we might have missed our window, maybe not last year, but maybe two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's tough. I mean, it, like you said, they're, they're in a very similar spot to the Clippers. Lowry, in, in this case, obviously is Chris Paul, where the issue lies with the last two years of that deal. It's like it, Toronto would love to have Kyle Lowry back on a three-year max, just like the Clippers would love to have Chris Paul back on a three-year max, but that's just not how it's going to work. So I think if you're Kyle Lowry, you're just getting punched in the gut continually if you're Toronto. That's just what this has been. LeBron's sipping beers and you're getting punched in the gut. And, you know, take a lesson from the Clippers and and maybe move on and then just catch the upward swing of a different organization and help them in that upward swing. He's a Philly guy, went to Villanova, Philly through and through. You know, I I watch more Sixers games than I, I care to admit this year. And the atmosphere in the arena in Philadelphia was absurd for where they finished, you know, the regular season. And I think if he came home and he helped, you know, be the the physical face of this transition, of like the next step in the process, that that would be fun for him. It would revitalize his career, his own motivation for going to work each day. And, or he can go back to Toronto and just get his gut punched over and over and over, and not even by the Cavaliers next season and the season after that and the season after that, but all these other teams like you mentioned, Boston, Washington, Milwaukee. I think you might as well go on, you know, just take on a new challenge in life. And I, I feel like that, you know, the Clipper or the, the Raps as an organization to, should take a lesson from the Clippers and just move on. We'll see what happens. I'm intrigued. Yeah, I think the Raptors are smart enough to do that. I I think that's the right decision. And there's this there's this other thing, um, you know, where uh, Usai Majiri has said from the beginning that in terms of the like the personnel that he like would put together in an ideal world, 
it being led by DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry type of players were never what he wanted from the onset, yep. but they were just so good that you had to ride the wave as long as you could. Exactly. So I think for that reason as well, the fact that he's come out and actually said that is that you just have to ride the wave when you're this good right. also lends itself for Majiri just saying one day, all right, let, let's do what I actually wanted right. to do when I took over this job a few years ago. Exactly. Like, this, is in, this is kind of the opposite in that way of the Clippers where Doc – you know, assembled this team by hand and this, these, you know, these are his, his guys yeah. that, and, the, and even his guys on the ancillary parts of the roster with Ujiri, he kind of walked into this and I mean, people for three years ago, he wanted to essentially clean house. And like you said, they just got too good and were too competitive and the city was too behind them <laughs> and it, it became hard. And I think all along, Ujiri probably knew this was what was going to happen, right? I mean... I don't know about new. I think he begrudgingly added yeah. Damari Carroll and this year he's begrudgingly added I think he knew it wouldn't Tucker be enough, but it was, hard not, it was hard to say no. It was kind of right, like, a, what else are we going to do? Mm-hmm. So that, that, that to me means like there's not going to be this kind of inherent reluctance to change from, yeah. from the GM that you might see in other organizations. So where does Lowry go if it's not like what are the teams that are going to throw the Philly max? is like so far and away number sure. one for me right now as well, long as the would, Sixers does are does Philly open to want that. him yeah that's the question like, I think I would hope so because not, they need to make a massive they what well, they keep saying they want to play Simmons at point guard so that's that's to me what the competition but Lowry is. off the ball he's played off the ball before he can play off the ball again I mean he, he's getting to an age where he's had a weird he hasn't had the traditional bell curve in terms of NBA production, it's more been like even like maybe even an exponential curve, but at some point it's going to, it's going to fall. Like what is that? Like a math thing? It's a math thing. It's not an exponential curve. I'll say that it's not a parabola or half a parabola, but um, you know, him playing off the ball might make sense on his new contract for the majority of his new contract. So maybe that would actually be a match made in heaven. And if you stagger the minutes of Ben Simmons and you're saying, I can get Kyle Lowry as basically our number two point guard, our number two ball handler signed us up for that over the next three years. I mean, in that it would be more than three years. So that's the thing. It's like, just right. really want to commit to that, you know? And I think I think I, it's okay could. though because you you'll have the, a true veteran presence yeah. on your team. Well, and it's not like they have to worry about cap. You know, by the time yeah. that Lowry's coming off the books is when you, you know your other extensions for your young guys, Simmons and Bead, Sarich, in theory, are all coming mm-hmm. are all coming up. So that that way it works well. So it, I do want to talk about where else he could go, but I would also ask the question if we're looking at it from Philly's perspective. If they if they have deemed themselves this season or this off season to actually bring on a legitimate free agent, not not these ragtag guys. Yeah, couldn't they do better? No, I don't. I don't know about that. I think that he is the perfect fit for what they're doing right now. The personnel, um, in terms of buying into like you know revitalizing, rebuilding. I think that he is actually their number one target. If you just draw a blank slate, I, yeah, I think he is. I, I think you know, but. For the other part, it's do you want to go from this winning situation? Even if you're not ever getting over the mountain, you're at least climbing there to. I think it's in some ways rock bottom. I think it's fun to help out his home team. I think I th- again, I think when you wake up every day, you know he has a new challenge in life, and even though it's a couple notches down in terms mm-hmm. of maybe NBA relevancy for him, just being motivated on a day to day basis, I think it'll matter a lot. So, what if Chris Paul goes back to LA, as is the prevailing belief as of right now? Do the Spurs become in play for Lowry? Huh. Do the Jazz become in play if George Hill walks? Ooh, I think, I think, oh man, I think the Jazz might actually be worse with Denver needs with, a point guard. 
Yeah, you're not sold on Jamal Murray being the point guard of their future? I, I'm i very much sold on Jamal Murray, the player. I'm not sold on him being the point guard of the future. It's just weird when they have... Minnesota? Ooh. That's I, a fun one. Man, I, I think I've mentally debilitated myself to even answer this question because I've just penciled him in towards Philadelphia, so I haven't even given this much thought. But I feel like Dallas might be in play. Yeah, I mean there are lots of good options. He's gonna have op- that's the thing. It's like it's yeah. not like it's Toronto or Bust, and yeah, he's gonna have a lot of very intriguing options. I I think you could make the argument that the Jazz are better with George Hill than they are Kyle Lowry. Dallas, you couldn't say that. Minnesota, I don't think you could say that with Rubio. Absolutely not. So yeah, I mean I I get what you're saying here. You're saying there's gonna be lots of suitors. He's gonna be able to get a nice fat contract. Right. Was well, Toronto is staying in Toronto his best option in terms of winning? You I go have, out west, you got you got Golden State. You stay in the East, you got Cleveland. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not there's not like this clear path to a title if he leaves Toronto. Well, San Antonio, I th- yeah, I you're right, you're right. If if he does want to win a title, then. I don't know. I mean, ah, gosh, there's not. I, I mean, there's know. not a spot. You, not everybody is Durant, you know, and can, and can just have that influence, right? And I mean, this is what every single free agent is saying, right? That's why they're taking minimum deals, veteran minimum deals, to join the Warriors and join right. the Spurs last year because there really is only like two tickets to the finals. Anymore. Well, that's the thing. Ring chasing is a little bit easier now because there's, there's only so many teams. Definitive. Yeah, there's like a yeah. clear three teams. If you want a ring, these are the three teams to try to sign with. Yeah, it's the Spurs, it's the Cavs, it's the Warriors sure ah man i don't know if 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 i'm lowry i i think the philadelphia thing is just enticing from not you know from a money standpoint from just like you know hometown standpoint and and all that kind of stuff so i don't know i've i'm i've obviously made up my decision on that but you're right there's there's lots of suitors out there Don't really want to talk too much more about this Cavs Raps game one. I mean, Valanciunas looked like he can't be on the floor all that much. The Cavs still haven't gotten all that much shooting from Kyrie. He's 10 of 40 from three in the playoffs. It seems like he's been better than that, but he hasn't. They put up 62 on 42% shooting uh, in the first half. They're 21 and two now on the year when they score at least 62 in the first half. So that, that's essentially a, a kiss of death. Kyle Korver hasn't been all that good for them either that's that's the other part of this like cleveland looks so good offensively and well you keep he's talking, seven of 17 like I know, for kyle corver that is not good you keep talking about that but like are you that like you're genuinely surprised every time you bring up his stats and i don't know why like because it's kyle corver and he, sh- he led the league in three-point shooting okay but like look at the way he runs up and down the court look at his age i mean he's horrible on d I, that's been underrated his defense i mean what what do you want from him, this guy when him and fry are out there together thing things unravel very very quickly uh, but no, I, I just think Corver, like my point is that the Cavs are five and zero in the playoffs and Kyrie has not played all that well. He's had some nice moments, but he hasn't played all that well overall. And you know, their biggest addition this year, they haven't really gotten much out of. So I, I'm saying like the ceiling is higher for them offensively and they're still killing it. I, I think you have unrealistic expectations for a 36 year old guy who's never been, you know, prided for his athletic ability to begin with. 
I mean, it's not about that. He's just not shooting it all that well. I didn't expect him to be good on D. So, like, over the last couple years, was, like, Channing Fry and Richard Jefferson's more value added to the Cavs than than Kyle Korver this year, do you think? I think Jefferson late in the postseason last year, yes. Okay. And Channing Fry went off earlier in the playoffs. I think it was the Detroit series. Give Korver a couple more rounds before. No, I think he'll be fine. It's the same thing with Ryan Anderson, where it's, like, the Rockets made it through round one, and Ryan Anderson didn't give them anything. Yeah. And even... Even last night, I mean, he hit, hit four threes, but he was four of ten, which you know by Anderson standards is good. But they still haven't had a game where he's like really, really carried them. Uh, but this is where I have the trivia Ooh, for you. All right. So it's been too long, my friend. Yeah. So Ryan trivia. Anderson, again, he was four of ten last night from three. This season, he had thirteen games with at least five made threes. Since two thousand ten, he ranks sixth in the NBA with fifty-two games of at least five three-pointers made. Can you name the five players that have more games with at least five made threes than Ryan Anderson since 2010? Clay Thompson, Steph Curry. Yes, so Kevin, they're one and two. Curry Kevin Durant. First. No. Durant is number 18 on the list. More than how many threes? Five? More than five made threes in a game. So Steph Curry, since the start of the 2010-11 season, has made at least five threes in a game 153 times, which is way more than anyone else. Clay is number two at 82. And again, Ryan Anderson is six with 52. Mm-hmm. Harden? Yep, Harden's three. The next two are shooting guards, if that helps. That does help. Thank you. They're not stars, but they're starters. CJ McCollum? No. Devin Booker? Did he sneak no, in there? No, okay. Since 2010. Oh, so you're, you're aggregating. Sorry, I didn't, yeah. didn't catch McCollum the McCollum adju- is number 50 on the list. Oh, yikes. Okay. I asked this to James earlier, and his one of his first guesses was Kobe, which is a fair guess. But <laughs> Kobe is number sixty-eight. If we're doing, if we were doing three pointers attempted in a game, I sure. think it would be a little more realistic. JJ Redick. Redick is number ten. Wesley Matthews. Wesley Matthews, number five. So one more ahead of Anderson. Um, I want to go with Trevor Ariza. But, Good guess. Ariza is number okay. nine. He's more small forward these days. Mm-hmm. Um, so one more shooting guard, huh? Yep. Hmm. Good question, by the way. Um, Brad Beal. Good guess. J.R. Smith. Okay, he's he's just been he's just played enough minutes right. for the he's that taken to enough shots. Yeah, essentially, yeah. So he's done it fifty-seven times. So Curry, Thompson, Harden, Jr., and West Matthews are your top five in cool. that category, which I found interesting. Let's talk Spurs Rockets quick. I watched very little of this game. I was coerced into watching the show Thirteen Reasons Why on Netflix instead of this game. Shame so on you. So if we want to no. talk, if we want to talk about that, Shame the murder of the, if we want to talk about the. You know, the tragic death of Hannah Baker. We can do that. Wow. Um, but I don't shame. have a ton to say about this game. Shame, shame, shame. I don't have a lot to say, and I watched the whole game. Um, other than this, we know that the Rockets generally are founded on boom or bust, right? You know, either they're going to rain down threes or they could just be putrid from beyond the line. And that's basically going to dictate whether or not they win the game. Why can't we come to the conclusion that they attempt so many threes that it's impossible, near impossible, for them to truly have a famine from beyond the arc to the point where they're going to be in every single game they play in just by the sheer amount of shots that are worth 
extra points that they take. Like I and and and, and the easy the easy way to analyze the Rockets is to say it's feast or famine, but they've been so good this year. I don't know if you can say that. I think it's like middle of the road or feast. And, and yeah, really, famine's maybe have, a little strong. We haven't seen famine yet, and to me, that means that the Spurs are just in massive, massive trouble. What that also means is that. The Rockets have a legitimate chance to beat the Warriors. We actually saw that happen during the regular season. The way they play, the fact that they aren't going to completely bottom out, you know, maybe there is a 50-50 game where even if the Rockets struggle, mm-hmm. things could still be up for grabs. So I think the Spurs are definitely in trouble, you know, not even just from last night's performance, but even, you know, all things equal, and that the Rockets can legitimately beat the Warriors. And and I and I really hope that doesn't come off as a one-game hot take because the Rockets have been very, very good over the course of the season. I'm not even just judging from last night's performance. Well, the Rockets are the only team that's going to try to out-Warriors the Warriors. Which the, is The Cavs, are, yeah. if they get there, as, as we saw the last two years, are going to try to slow it down. It worked last year. It didn't work two years ago. The Spurs do their own thing. The Jazz, I think, are going to try to play that Cleveland style of grind it out. And Houston's not going to do that. So I... I guess we'll see. You know, we'll see. I think first of all, how Utah plays Golden State and how that works for them. Um, you know, and, and certainly Houston will make some adjustments. But I think they've been pretty clear in the fact that they think they have the personnel to at least play their style against the Warriors. Like they're not a team. Like Cleveland played drastically differently against Golden State as they did other teams. The Rockets are, for the most part, going to do what they do and just hope it works. Exactly what um, they do right now. They're- right. But I, I do. I would disagree with you a little bit in that the, it hasn't been feast or famine. You know, it's not like they're going, they're not putting up like Bulls numbers from three. But they went 22 of 50 last night. And that was the first time in these playoffs that they've made more than 11 threes in any game. Hmm. So, I mean, it was somewhat semi-famine-like in, in round one, I guess, <laughs> Sure. Uh, against OKC, and well, they and still won in five. Well, yeah, I guess I switched gears on what point I was trying to make midway through my, my monologue there. But, you know, they, they weren't spectacular from three, and they still beat a decent, a decent Thunder team 4-1. Um, so, right, I don't think there is a famine with the way, because they've actually transcended you know the general logic between you know a jump shooting team. They've they've transcended that. They're they're on a whole nother level in terms of how many mm. attempted threes they're taking. That they've actually compensated for you know that being a harder shot than a two yeah. point shot. They're they're just a bad matchup for San Antonio. Like the San Antonio's yes. big man, like Lamarcus Aldridge. He was unplayable the, last night. He was night. so bad. Except for he, the fact that he played a lot of minutes. He's been bad for a yeah. while. That's something that nobody really talked about this year is LaMarcus Aldridge not at all playing like a superstar. And part of that's just the emergence of Kawhi. But LaMarcus Aldridge was awesome last year. He was really, really good. And he's just not been good at all this year. Minus 36 last night. The next closest player was minus 22 Danny Green. Right. And that's, you know, plus or, mi- plus or minus, you can say what you want. But that's one where you look at and you're like, that's a pretty legitimate right. plus minus based on the eye test last night. Spurs starting front court combined for two of nine field goals, eight points, thirteen rebounds, one assist, three turnovers. Like you're just not you're not winning any games if that's how it goes. Uh, Spurs were nine of nineteen from three percentage wise. That's fine, but when your opponent is making thirteen more threes than you, that's a big issue. And and like I said, I don't think Houston has played its best game quite yet. I still think Ryan Anderson has like a seven of nine game in him mm-hmm. somewhere. Maybe it's this round. Maybe it's next round. I don't know. 
Um, you know, we, we haven't quite gotten the full Lou Williams experience. They just got Sam Decker back last night. Not that he's going to be a huge impact guy, but, you know, just another playable person to have in a rotation and a, a decent athletic defender. Yeah, he's a guy that they can slot into the small five with Ryan Anderson playing the stretch four, basically. In fact, when the Rockets beat the Warriors, I think, in overtime earlier on this season, uh, it was double overtime, now that I remember correctly. Uh, Decker played as the five for most of the end of the stretch and even into double overtime, then they use Montrezl Harrell also. Mm -hmm. And so those two guys, while it doesn't seem like much, they could play pivotal roles in closing out the Spurs and also matching up pretty wisely against a small ball Warriors team. The Rockets don't have like three guys on the roster who are totally unplayable against the Warriors or unplayable against a team like the Rockets. Like we saw like Aldridge, he's not unplayable, but when he plays like he did last night, he is Pau Gasol, is tough to find a spot defensively. David Lee repeatedly lost uh, Clint Capella. You know, if Harden gets past his man, you're basically asking David Lee to step up and simultaneously defend the lob, and that's just not going to work. And and some people might say, well, that's not true because Capella, Anderson, and um, oh, like Lou Williams, you know, are, aren't aren't great on defense, and they aren't great on defense, but they're not to the unplayable point that you're talking about with Paul Gasol and Lamarcus Aldridge. Well, it's right more. Now. I think it's more emphasized when they're big men, you sure. know, because like they're not they're not giving you all that much offensively either. You know, it's not like David Lee is it's not like David Lee is hurting you on D, but then coming down and dominating on offense. Where it's like Lou right. Williams gives you so much on offense that you can right. kind of find ways to hide him. Exactly. Same thing with Ryan Anderson, where yeah. he makes up for whatever he lacks on defense. That cannot be said mm-hmm. when the Spurs are are, right. are playing against the Rockets for Aldridge for Pagasol. Exactly. And I think if we get to uh, if we get to Rockets Warriors, then is maybe when we see Lou Williams like really struggle on clay, but. He's not going to sure. struggle on Manu. He's not going to struggle on Patty Mills. You know, it's not right. the same type of situation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this was this was a. I mean, I didn't think it would be a blowout of this magnitude. I think Houston. I went in thinking Houston would win the series. I thought it would be a little bit harder, and I'm sure it will be a little bit harder. Uh, but I mean, this this was one of those like good teams don't get blown out <laughs> right. at home like this in game one of a second round series. You yeah. know, this was a, a big time kind of look yourself in the mirror game for San Antonio. So as we've been doing this whole podcast, just really quickly, I guess we've real already quickly, been doing really it. quickly. It's only been like an hour, real quick. Real quick, you know what do that? What do the Spurs need to do to reload? Because we know that they are a free agent destination. That said, you know these people that they've been picking off have been David Lee, Lamarcus Aldridge, and Pau Gasol, and good players in their own right and in their prime. But in today's NBA, the Spurs obviously need to start attracting players to combat warriors rockets and cavaliers not not just you know the other 26 teams in the nba it seemed like when they signed aldridge it was just we're signing the best player available yeah and they didn't necessarily consider fit all that much and Mm -hmm. i think now that's something you're gonna have to think about more so yeah i I think chris paul is the name you're gonna keep hearing i i don't know that they can do a whole lot better you know blake would be interesting with them i don't know how that would fit in terms of roster or cap i think that's Um, another they're just going out there to get the best player available and not necessarily thinking about fit i'm still i'm still gonna throw goran Dragic. it would have to be a trade i don't know how they would have i don't know how they would be able to execute that but i I still think him in, in san antonio makes a lot of sense in just a vacuum sense so yeah it's gonna be an interesting off season i think i think if they lose this series especially we might see more sweeping changes than we've seen in San Antonio in a while. Yeah, I, I think that's for sure. They have, if you're curious, the fifth highest payroll right now. And for an unsuccessful team that might not even make it to a conference finals, 
some decisions have to be made to, you know, if you're going to have that high of a payroll, you need to do something about it. So, okay. Um, so predictions for tonight, Warriors are 13 point favorites, I believe at home. Do they cover that? Yeah, I think they come out pretty hot. Maybe they so drop too. a game um, eventually, but I think they're gonna, you know, they're ready to play. They're ready to move on to the next challenge, and they're they're going to mentally beat the Jazz. Not only this game, but like make it known that the Jazz can't win the, the series whatsoever. Right. In, all all that's gonna happen in Game One. The Jazz are mentally gonna be defeated by the time the final buzzer sounds here in Game One. Yeah, I th- I think it's gonna look a lot like the Cleveland game last night, where yeah. there, you know, maybe maybe the Jazz come out with a little bit of fire um but i think there's just there's going to be one or two runs in this game where golden state just kind of flashes you know how good they can be and it's just going to be too much as for the wizard celtics i mean i'm I'm considering this a home and home series so even if boston wins tonight they go up 2-0 and, and you know then the wizards go home and they have the opportunity to you know hold court at home or hold serve at home so uh you know even if the wizards lose tonight I'm I'm not terribly concerned for them and their chances to mm-hmm. ultimately beat the Celtics. Yeah, well, I mean, they went up 16 to zero in Game One and proceeded to blow that lead for, almost immediately. First quarter leads mean nothing right. when it comes to basketball, and you could tell like the Boston crowd. I, I remember thinking was just not worried at all. They were you would never have known that they were down 16 to zero. It was like it was any other game, uh, and that I mean, yeah, fans know we've seen this over and over. Um, I, I think Boston's going to win the series. I think yeah. Washington just doesn't quite have the depth, and I think losing Markeith hurt them a lot in Game 1. It, it sounds like he's really going to try to play Game 2. The, the Wizards themselves haven't really sounded all that optimistic about it. Uh, but if he's hampered or unable to go, I think that really, really hurts them because they're already really shallow. Bogdanovich has been a little bit better after a rough start to the playoffs. It, you're going to see a lot of Kelly Oubre. That's so. See, that's the biggest issue is that on defense you can hide Isaiah Thomas on Kelly Oubre. Before it was right. Otto Porter, and it's like, well, maybe Otto Porter can get the advantage of him. Not that bad. But if Oubre's on the court, then you're yes. really happy if you're a Celtics right. fan. So from that perspective, losing Markeith mm-hmm. is, is a big deal. Yeah, I mean, the Celtics aren't going to shoot it like they did in game one. They don't crawl back into that game if they're not – just on fire from three. I mean, Crowder hit like six threes after seemingly breaking everything in round one. So I think they come back down to earth a little bit. I think the Wizards play a little bit better. Uh, But I think Washington really, really needs a win tonight. Okay. Yeah, I'm just not going to be too concerned. Home and home, that's that's just how the series normally goes. So as long as it's competitive, as long as it's close, I'm still going to say it's a 50-50 toss-up, even if the Wizards lose tonight. All right, well, looking forward to these two. Uh, We'll be back to recap things probably Thursday or Friday. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.